Hi, I'm Luke Campbell and I work for a small wine company and he's Luke Morris. And I work for a big wine company. <laughs> and together we are Luke's Talk Wine, talking all things wine and booze, popular culture. Just think, when to drink, why do I drink it, and the culture that surrounds drinking. Hello, Luke. Hello to the listening audience and hello to you, Luke. Hello, Luke. Well, this week it's episode three, season two, and we are coming at you. There's uh, plenty to get through. Uh, We've got a few topics for you this week, and the first cab off the rank is where are they now, wineries? We're going to take a trip down memory lane, actually. This was spawned out of a conversation Luke and I had back on episode 13, I think it was. We discovered a few wineries, uh, namely... Goundry, Unwooded, Chardonnay, um, that just aren't around anymore. And if they are, where, where have they been resigned to the doldrums of the Suburban and Coke uh, wine shop? Or where, are they on the big barns? We, we've gone in search this week, so we're going to have a bit of a deep dive and where are they now, wineries? Kind of do a bit of a this is your life, but on wineries. <laughs> and, of course, we have another question, another listener question that came through during the week is why does my wine give me headaches? Is it just uh, to do with sulfites? But first, and as always, Luke Morris, what's been happening in your wine world this week, pal? Like, there was a few things that really ground my gears this week, but probably the big one was when a customer rang me up asking about a product, and I, it's just the world I, I work in. And I told them what the product was, and then they, then there was a bit of silence, and then they said, it doesn't have good scores. And I was like, what? And I couldn't I couldn't see. There was no scores attached to it. Oh, and, and then they were like, oh, some of the reviews are good. And I said, what? And I was thinking in my head, and then I realized that they'd gone on Vivino to, oh, to yes. look up – and when my brain sort of just clicked, I just sort of said, "Ah, oh, well, I can only tell you like my opinion on the wine. I haven't gone to look for somebody else's." And was, like, was the, oh yeah, was the, person, I was the person asking you for your opinion, or were they asking you for scores? What What's the context here? Well, that, that, so we, if we sell wines that, that uh, sometimes they're masks because the, they're at bin-ins. So the person rang me up mm-hmm. just to find out what the product was. And then they started to tell me about scores on Vivino, but without saying it was on Vivino, just sort of saying, well, that, the, the 08 and the, you know, the 19 has a good rating. And I was like, what? What are you talking about? I'm trying to say I've got a 17. I've had it. It's good. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, the 16 wasn't so good, but the 18's very good. There's no reviews on the 17. I was like, but I've had it. I've had it. <laughs> I'm telling you, this is my opinion. Why am I talking to people who don't care? I sort of <laughs> give up. Well, I, I, I think, I think the, 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 the quantification there is, and we discussed for those uh, new listeners amongst us back in episode 8, we discussed uh, wine judging and scores and the Jimmy Watson Prize and how wine judges scores. But a little bit of context there, if if and 
we won't debate if and why you use Vivino, but if you do, for those of you who don't know, those scores that appear in the top left-hand corner are actually a user-fed average. So Luke might really love the particular Riesling from the Clare and he'll rate it 19 out of 20. And me, as you know, I love my Riesling from Eden, so I would rate the Clare Valley, you know, 12 out of 20. And the mean average comes out in that left-hand score. So therefore, the uh, it's more of an average rather than a score. So I can, Luke Morris, I can understand your frustration that somebody's quoting averages to you rather than listening to your wealth of knowledge about but, well, I, Again, I don't claim to be that knowledgeable but i actually have had the wine and if the person wanted like to know what the wine tasted like compared to their palate like why do i don't know i don't really i'm sort of over trying to help people i don't care well i mean you can you can i know you do care you can advise people but whether they take that advice no. uh is is up to them somebody very wise once said to me in this with this in mind that opportunity only knocks opportunity knocks make sure you don't have the t- opportunity let me start that again opportunity always knocks make sure you don't have the tv too loud and i think sometimes in relevance to your uh predicament there you can tell people or, or offer people your advice but people can't hear it it's just like you can listen oh, yeah. to Jimi Hendrix, but you can't hear it. <laughs> so I think that's the problem. Yeah, yeah. I ended up. He, he was. He, he kept rattling in and out of consciousness as he clicked on different people's reviews and started to aimlessly tell them back to me. And I just said, "Do you want me to just? <laughs> do you want me to just let you <laughs> read that website and you can get back to me if you want to buy any wine?" And he said, "Yeah, okay." <laughs> And so I hung up. And I was just, that's what's, that's what's, I mean, I, if, if you want something interesting, I'll tell you something interesting. I went to the doctors, to the dentist. I can tell you that uh, the best thing you can do after tasting wines is to uh, uh, wash your mouth out with water. And uh, that's it. Don't brush your teeth because that just exposes the surface to harmful acids. I yes, found that and interesting. The same, thing, but, same thing counts for prior to the tasting. Don't uh, don't brush your teeth because yeah, you expose it to all those harmful acids. I learned that the hard way judging a flight of Riesling uh, at uh-huh. the Royal Melbourne Wine Show one year. Ooh, eight AM start, hungover as a badger's proverbial, and uh, yeah, judging Riesling just after breakfast, brush my teeth. Yeah, not not a good place to be. Not a oh wow, place to be. What happened? Did you, were your teeth work. stinging? Were they? Ring your mouth guard. Oh, my teeth were stinging at about wine ten of a fifty class bracket. It was a big class of Riesling, as you can imagine, Royal Melbourne. Wow. Yeah. Not yeah, I don't understand. See, isn't there a tolerance though? That you even well, tasting or, fifty or, wines or, is pointless. Ordinarily, there would be a, a tolerance because you wouldn't have brushed your teeth. You would have covered it in coffee or milk or should you choose to a, a cordial or whatever. Um, yeah, but in the general day-to-day life. Or are you referring to a tolerance of your palate, how many can you taste? Yeah, so there's a tolerance of your palate, but I have heard that people do um, use coffee as a way to 
recenter their palate, which I think sounds silly. Doesn't when everything tastes like coffee? But um, you might know more than me. You, you've, yeah, you've I can expand on that point. Absolutely. So coffee, coffee, olive, olive oil, and wine are all part of the same family. They're all vitis vinifera plants. When you taste them, they all have a front, middle, and back palate. And they all are, you know, sweetness, bitterness, and acidity driven. So they actually um, cancel one another out for that very reason. Um, but back to the original point, what, what's the threshold? So a general consumer that might consume, you know, one to two to three glasses of wine per week, their palate will get tired at about four or five different wines. Um, and a, as a professional, my palate gets tired at about 10 to 12 different wines but you know seasoned wine judges can do 20 and 50 at a time so in my case um at the aforementioned royal melbourne wine show i had to keep stopping going refreshing my palate with either a coffee or some milk or just some straight up water um a dry biscuit and then going back at it to complete the next you know flight of 10 or whatever it's not it's not an easy roll everyone thinks it's a or very glamorous, but it's, it's actually quite difficult. Oh, yeah, to, it's um, so hard to have to go have a glass of water every now and then. Guys, do you like my <laughs> struggle? Uh, what else has been happening? So off to the doctor and you're not brushing your teeth before or after wine. That's a good thing, but um, That's now, a good tip. We're done with the, now we're done with the public service announcements. What else you got for me? Has anything else been going on? Um, I wonder about fake wine a little bit. Yeah, because I won't name names, but there's a big producer who's um, they're not a producer. They're the sort of like a, no, 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 different, different. No, no. Even even a consort. I don't know some sort of a consortium. I'm just worried about where they like. They've bought brands. This is the thing: brands as opposed to vineyards and wineries. Oh yes, this is a topic. And like the the hollowness within within that, um, personally, I just don't I don't care for it. Um, and I've often found the wines, you know, are very one dimensional because there is no you know there's no third dimension to them. They're they're, they're an image and they're they're a juice, but they're not a personality. And mm. But further to that, I worry about, you know, brand X, brand Y, and brand Z all having the same juice because they're just yeah. marketed to different targets. And I yeah. can't prove that. And I actually think it's legal. I, I don't think if you're – all you have to put legal-wise on the bottle is – uh, be truthful about the vintage. Be truthful about the grape varietal. Ergo, the major ingredients. And what else? I think that's it. Well, I think you and I are both cut from the same cloth in the fact that you know we we grew up our experiences in independent retail, and we've we've just been brought up pre- preaching the story, preaching the, the 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 small aspects of the vineyard, preaching the um, you know the, the the underlying attributes about the wine, rather than what's printed on the front, 
So if anyone's ever heard of it, uh, whomakesmywine.com.au is a great website to reference. You know, you can type in your wine, whether it might be Cow Bommy or, you know, Lindemann's or 19 Crimes or whatever whatever the wine you're drinking from the big chains and it'll come up who owns it and what it's doing. Um, Hang on, I'm just looking it up quite, now because you've got me really interested. Who makes my wine? .com.au and all of those supermarket lists it's a privately run website but all of those supermarket wines whether you know whether it's pepper jack or saltram or any lanes and it'll tell you who owns oh. um who owns who makes your wine uh and it's quite enlightening because i bet some of the favorite brands of our listeners come up there um and it's a pretty um, uh, I've, I've, just, I've just looked it up because, yeah, there's a lot of wines that are just brand names. So they're owned by yeah. people like Aldi, Coles, uh, Woolworths. Yep. And, yeah, I've, you, you frequently see those. Um, oh, wow. Some, oh, wow. This is, we could segue into your, your hot topic of where are they now because there's a couple of brands in there that I, I recognize straight off the bat that I think used to be an actual business. Hi, this is Luke Morris from Luke's Talk Wine. I've written some books, so visit lukemorrisha.com.au. Go there, see the books, buy one, support the podcast. That's lukemorrisha.com.au, L-U-K-E-M-O-R-R-I-S-H-A.com.au. Have a great day. Now they're just... Well, that's it. So why don't we do that and move straight in to the kind of this is your life of wineries in with this week's topic with wineries, where are they now? So I couldn't have done that better myself, Luke Morris. <laughs> this is this week's topic because it it's, is very... It's the old host in me. <laughs> it is the old host in you. This is Because this is very important and it's very true to my heart as aforementioned there when we want to tell the story these as you rightfully say are just now brands and the only true thing on them probably is the label and the vintage there's no winemaker behind them there's no um you know details of the aspect or details of how they were picked because they're just made to a recipe because there's that Um, return in saying that there's no legality to say that um uh, Jan Bomber Shiraz and uh, uh, Waterface Shiraz can't be the same juice. They no. can be. They're just absolutely. That's that's it's so sad to the identity of, and I've just made up those names. But I've already felt that Jan Bomber Shiraz has like old grannies making it, and it's got some sort of lovely, you know, patched work. Uh, woolen um, tank warmers, you know. I care about yarn bomber Shiraz, but it's not a thing. I've just made it up. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that's the thing. I guess there's no, there's no longer, um, there's no longer any brand loyalty. So I, I think, you know, I, I think people from our generation and every people who are younger. There's no, there's no brand loyalty, you know, like um, when, when we were growing up, you know, people collected the same wines year in, year out. In my in in my business now, you know, no longer do people 
collect the same wines to get verticals or whatever. They actually follow winemakers. They follow particular regions. More often mm. than not, they actually um, they actually um, follow particular styles. Um, so that you know that the old days of buying Barossa, Barossa Valley Estates E and E Black Pepper Shiraz a day in, year in, year out, because they love that particular wine. They love the winemaker and the consistency of it. They're gone. What do you think? Yeah, no, I, think? I'm just imagine. I'm just remembering that in terms of people getting verticals of all kinds of things, like you said. I don't know, I don't know if they, I don't, I don't know, I suppose there's people out there, but as you were saying, there's a generation of who are just trying textual wines and different types of Pinnacle. wines and... Nats, and so they're like the beer drinker who goes to the beer shop, and there's the um, atomic kitten sour puss porter. And you think, Oh, I'll try one of those. And then, even if you really like it, you go back next week because, like, nah, there's no more of that. They've moved on to something completely different. It's because they only make nine cans. (laughs) <laughs> so you don't get a loyalty of product you, you you're constantly faced with a new thing and that's a generation of people Absolutely. who are constantly seeking a new thing I, yeah i think that's that's a societal thing you know a generational thing but what about some of those brands like do, do you do you remember a couple of great brands that just uh, you don't see anymore they might still be around they might not be around uh, we discovered you and I bonded over Goundry a few episodes ago. <laughs> but any of any other of any other brands come to life? Uh, just looking at this list, Punter's Corner oh, is yeah. a wine that Great I had Mungie heard. Brand. No, Poet's Corner. I was thinking of which is oh, a Mungie okay. brand. Yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah. yeah, listed out of the Kunawa. Um Punter's Corner. I used to see around a bit. Now I don't see any more, and that's because they've been purchased by. Coles, and yeah. so that all of their product would be going to Coles. So if I don't shop there, I'll never see them. Do you know who's sense. another one who's who's like that though? Certainly, it's Panic Red Bank. Oh, well, well, those wines were great in that. Like Sally's Paddock, that Cabernet blend flagship. Yeah. That was a ripper of a wine. So what happened there? That was in the I Pyrenees, think he, wasn't it? Yeah, mate. I think he had the product name Red Bank. And then sold Red Bank, but kept the name Sally's Paddock, or something like that happened. Yeah. And so yes, it took yes, him. He, he had to, he had Neil, to Neil rebrand. It. Yeah. Oh yeah, that that were great wines. Gee, yeah. I haven't seen a Sally's Paddock wine for a while. Uh, things. Well, Neil sometimes Rob, you get old. Who's another one like that? Who we, who we, who we I don't think we talked about on the podcast. Maybe not. Um, Virgin Mills from the Macedon. Ah, yes. David Eldridge. I was going to mention David Eldridge in that he's still producing, but um, he's, he's scaling down. Like some of these things like Virgin Hills, I think um, there was an issue with a couple of their vintages, and I think just the winemaker moved on or the family moved on, yeah, and then okay. that was the end of that product, and you don't have um, family members to take on. The brand, yeah, maybe it doesn't continue. Yeah, right. Gee, that that cabernet from the Virgin Hills—that was an amazing. Geez, 
I would have thought that might, that was a wine to continue, but you're right. The family, there's no there's no lineage as as um as far as it goes. But um, yeah, geez, he couldn't write a wine list without a Virgin Hills uh, wine <laughs> there at one stage. Back in the day, well, because they're, they're always one that you would you would um you'd see them with age. Absolutely. Well, that was. I only ever saw them with age because, I, as far as I was concerned, that stopped even producing when I was a kid. Like I only, I, I no, I was, I was selling wine in the, you know, early two thousands. But the only vintage I ever saw of Virgin Hills wines was ninety fours and ninety fives. I don't know if they ever made anything past that. Mm. I don't know. What have you uncovered? Well, I went down, uh, I was thinking about, you know, in, in years gone by and having writing wine lists and things like that, and I started to think about, you know, Leakenfield, and Leakenfield still exists. I visited the Coonawarra last year, so I know it still exists. It must have, um, you know, maybe it has overseas owners and a lot of the wine goes overseas. But, yeah, Leakenfield was a brand that popped up. But then I thought about Leasingham. You mentioned the Clare Valley. Earlier, oh, Leasingham. You know, Leasingham Classic Clare, you know, like there's Shiraz and Cab Shiraz blends, um, you know, bin 51s and bin 58s, and they were just like stalwarts of the industry for such a long time. But I don't, I don't even know where that fruit goes. It doesn't exist anymore because I went on a bit of a hunt. Oh, um, wow. I just thought, wonder where that fruit goes, you know, because how popular but is, is this Leasingham a case of... It's just like um, Kaiser Stoll. So Kaiser Stoll, many many years ago, was a fantastic Brossa Valley um, winery. They were a winery, Kaiser mm. Stoll, um, and they made terrific age-worthy red wines. Then Penfolds needed more juice for their granges and whatnot, and so Penfolds brought Kaiser Stoll. Um, rebranded it as a cask wine so you could buy Kaiser Stoll cask wine and all of their good fruit got sucked into Penfold's products and to the point really? that the Kaiser Stoll brand um, even as a cask wine disappeared. So there are there used to be um, auction houses, old punters, old the old fogies would, would wander around and if they saw a bottle of Kaiser Stoll, they'll go, ooh, if that's a whatever vineyard it was from, they could they could tell. Like that would be the same fruit that was in bin 80A sort of stuff. And you're like, you buy that at auction for $12 because everyone thinks the brand's terrible, but it actually turns out to be outstanding stuff. So... Yeah. I'm just guessing that something like Leasingham, now, is Leasingham, I think Leasingham is purchased by a big company and maybe some of their fruit's yeah. been sucked into something else. Yeah, maybe you're right. I, I couldn't find any evidence at all of Leasingham. And I just, I, I thought to myself, I wonder where that fruit went. Um, the entire company? Yeah. Is it still going? There's no, what are you saying? There's no more Leasingham. Well, I, I'm just, I couldn't find it, but can you can you still buy Leasingham wines? I don't think you can, can you? I don't know. I'm just Googling Leasingham wines. Permanently closed. Hi, oh, yeah. yeah, The things you learn. Oh, would you believe in. it? Now, here's, here's the story. Look at this. Hey, So 
<laughs> well, when one story leads to another. So under the umbrella of Leasingham, the other brands, this this is a whole other can of worms, the other brands that Leasingham own, Ambly, Goundry, <laughs> Moondarbrook, gee, Moondarbrook Vadillo, that was everywhere, Omni Sparkling. Ah, yes. And Rainella. So there's five Shadow Rainella. there that you... Shadow Ranella, yeah, that you just uh, you never hear of. So there you go. So they're all being put in the uh, too hard basket, I'd say. Um, Somewhere, someone's well, there's Classic Claire in the bin range, but can you buy them? No, there's no there's yep. no way to buy it. This is uh, Luke's scroll the internet. I hope you're enjoying today's episode. Um, <laughs> yes, this is, it makes for a great podcast. But uh, you, we you can you can email customers at leasingham wines.com.au. I don't know if that's just a, a self help group for all of the customers <laughs> <laughs> that are looking for a bottle of Moondarbrook well, Vanilla yeah. or Goundrown Wooded Chardonnay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you you but, email I mean, that Leasing, and it just goes Leasingham, to the, yeah. Leasingham was interwoven in our fabric of wine, you know, like 1893. Look at that, hey! Like, there's some history there, and just you know, these guys, oh, they they were they used to pop up on auction sites. They used to pop up on wine lists. Fair dinkum, they would pop up on your front doorstep. Like they were everywhere. As oh was yeah, Gandry, that, as was Moondarbrook. Their the, the Cabernet Malbec was one of the outstanding wines. Ooh, yeah. Yep. And sorry, so I, I should not look at the internet, but now I'm so curious as to what's happened to Leasingham. I've Googled, Hugh and Hook's written an article um, regarding, I think, Leasingham's been purchased, it's, it's been right. sucked into those. So it, uh, I haven't read through the article, but from the from yep. the outsides of things, it looks like it's, it is um, um, among the, the, the brands that have been sucked in to um, supply stock for another brand. So, so you could potentially export more Penfolds to Switzerland because Switzerland doesn't care yeah. about Leasingham, but they might care about the Penfolds brand. And therefore, you just need more juice. Very, very true. Hey, Luke, have you yeah. ever in, overindulged in wine and it's given you a headache? Uh, to be honest, not really, no. Well, I can give you the tip. I have. But yeah. I really identify with this listener's question this week, which was, why does wine give me headaches? Is it the sulfites? I got to thinking, actually, and there can be a number of things that give you the headache in wine, but it's um, it's not just the sulfites, is it? And I think you might attest that it's not the sulfites at all. It's not the sulfites at all because sulfites can't interact with you. Um, can't give you a hangover effect. It can give you an allergic reaction. That's rather immediate, but sulfites don't um, uh, hang around latently and then act on you the next day. The common misconception about sulfites is it's both an antiseptic and an antioxidant. So it has a, a myriad of different effects on the body. But, yeah, you're quite right. It, on its own, um, won't just cause a hangover. But there's plenty of things that might. Um, hangovers are... I've got my book over here. If anybody wants to buy my book. Um, where is it? Here we go. Let's grab the book. Let's go to the bit about hangovers. 
Uh, it's a comorbidity of issues, basically. But there's a specific... Ah, here we go. So, uh, give me the... What, what do you think causes hangovers, Luke Campbell? Well, it's a, it's a good point, actually. There's there's a number of things that can cause a hangover in wine. My, my big thing is, you know, probably the... The, the histamine that really presents a range of bacterial produced um, in, in there. The histamines for me, just because they're highly present in red wines mainly, they cause the headaches and they might cause, add to the dehydration. It also adds to the kind of, if you've got an intolerance to those those histamines, it can affect your breathing, it can make you sneeze, it can add to your dehydration. So I'm a big fan of uh, the, the histamines reacting with the enzymes. Both of those two things can give you a headache. The Also the, the additives, whether the wine's been fine with fish, eggs or milk or whatever proteins you use, that can often um, uh, also have a reaction to the human olfactory system. So they're, they're three other big things, but... Um, yeah, I mean, sulfur dioxide on its own, preservative 220, is not the actual um, direct uh, attributed to a headache. No, so it's a real comorbidity of issues. And um, mm-hmm. even when you say that there's, uh, it could be a finding agent, that, that, those finding agents, are, are, they're bonding agents designed to filter to the base of the tank and it shouldn't really enter the wine in any noticeable method i think they list them on the bottle because of people who, who are extremely sensitive to elements but also just for those who are worried about any sort of vegan vegetarian aspect to wine uh, just to be very clear of anything that's that's been involved in the wine making process um that they really shouldn't still be latent within the product to any discernible level but um, things that impact your things that cause the hangover headache, sulfur, not really. Um, having a really bad night's sleep, and I'll read you to you. Um, mm. Where is it? Where is it? Oh, okay. Uh, the Australasian Sleep Association outlines a lack of sleep or insomnia as being a lack of energy and irritability, poor performance at work, memory difficulties, and concentration problems, which is a lot like having a hangover. Yes. Uh, bad sleep is a big impact because it's very rare that you'll have an, a night out on the town and then go to bed and have a really tuck it in nice, soft eight hours of sleep. Sleep deprivation is one of the main factors. Um, another one um, is, as you alluded to before, because I'm reading from my book now, um, mm. uh, methanol toxicity, because alcohol doesn't form into pure alcohol. In fact, there's various types of alcohols, one of them being methanol. And, methanol, yeah. and uh, even though it would be argued that methanol is only present in wine in very small amounts, it also depends on the quality of the fermentation. So a night out on your Petrus and your Yakem and your uh, <laughs> Dom Perignon will not be an equal night out on your, um, uh, I'm trying to, I don't want to name a, a brand of, yeah, let's say the, the current version of Kaiserstuhl 
um, because the fermentation and the, and the process is different. Uh, and you, you can do the test if you have a really highly well balanced fermentation, you will um, have a less of a hangover effect the next day. Um, oh, uh, the methanol toxicity um, symptoms are reported as decreased level of consciousness, poor coordination, vomiting, abdominal pain, and a specific smell on the breath. Mm. But yucky. Do you want to know the number one cause of hangovers? Headache. The hangover headache. What causes? <laughs> I can tell you that for nothing. It's overindulgence. <laughs> It's the alcohol breaking down and leaving behind a uh, compound called acetate. So uh, yeah. alcohol, alcohol, aka ethanol alcohol, I'm reading again, is broken down by the enzyme alcohol dehydrogenase, which is in turn turns into acetaldehyde, I'm not very good at saying this stuff, which is highly toxic, mm-hmm. which is then broken down into the enzyme allyl hide dehydrogenase which is in turn breaking down into acetate which then becomes carbon dioxide and water and the water leaves the body as urine carbon dioxide through the mouth to prove this uh, a study conducted by maxwell et al in 2010 took acetate and injected it into rats Mm. and it caused an inflammatory soup in the brain so much so that the uh, rats reacted much like they had a hangover, and in fact, um, one of the one of the scientists working on the study um, had evolved the acetate and smelt it, and then immediately reported a hangover headache. Um, so the the number one thing is when you have too much alcohol is that it's breaking down. You put a poison in your body, and it has a latent. Um, uh, chemical impacting in, on your brain, which specifically the acetate needs time to break down and leave the body. T- things like trying to drink a lot of water to rehydrate your body doesn't really help get rid of it. You need exercise to blood them to push the blood around the body, and that will uh, help stimulate it out of your system. There you go. Well, there you go. And if people want to purchase your book, how do they do that, Luke Morris? Uh, you go to Luke Morris, huh? I think dot com dot au. Yep. The links in the description. Perfect. Buy the book. Excellent, excellent, excellent. And over and above all of that, if you don't wish to purchase Luke's book, hopefully now you've got a bit of a clearer understanding of what does give me the headache in wine, because um, it, in layman's terms, whether it's the tannins whether it's the, the histamines, it, you really have to think about, you know, the, the quality of wine you consume. It's not often the quantity, it's more over the quality of wine you consume. And as Luke rightfully pointed out during that little monologue of his, it is kind of, it, you know, if you're drinking Petrus as opposed to Bag in Box, the level of additives in Bag in Box is threefold compared to that of a... Uh, a quality wine with a story and some hellish pedigree to boot. But it's understanding those various components and what they are in your wine will help you avoid that uh, all-important hangover. 
And yeah, I'm not encouraging, we're not encouraging to start drinking natural wine by any means, but just think about the right wines from the right regions, moreover. Well, it's, yeah, it's more about controlled fermentation. So um, if you have a, if you're trying to control a ferment that's in a half ton crate, which I have done, is a little bit easier to do than trying to control every aspect of a ferment that's in a 10,000 ton tank, which is probably what Yellowtail is trying to do. So um, the, the, you can stuff up a, a half ton crate. I've done a crate. I've done that, but it's in theory a lot easier. And therefore, when you when you're dealing with a winery that's working on a smaller scale with smaller batches and having a more personal process with the wine, um, it should therefore be a bit more pure within its um, fermentation and therefore um, have less contaminant, contaminants, contaminants, contaminants. You know what I'm saying? And therefore, you yep. know, not have so many impurities that you, um, you wind up with a headache the next day. Hmm. Well, it, it is very interesting, and it is um, it is much more about just cho- choosing your drink soundly and choosing what to drink and being mindful um, of what you're drinking. I think absolutely, but uh, don't Luke, focus on the sulfates. And don't focus on the sulfates. Absolutely. Hey, mate. Um, what 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 have you been drinking? What have you been drinking this week? Uh, honestly, water. <laughs> what have you been drinking, mate? Well, you you've pushed me um, on an absolute bent because uh, I'm still drinking pet nats actually. So I've um, oh look at you. Yeah, I, I am. I've kind of gone down a little bit of a wormhole, but that's all right. Just, you know, just method ancestral, just having a poke around. Just, you're right. There's a lot of inconsistencies out there. There's a lot of, um, there's a lot of funky stuff out there, but there is also some very good juice out there that some solid winemakers are doing great things with. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I'm not suggesting you all uh, just rush out and start drinking natural wines or, or pet nats, but there is some fun to be had out there. Um, last week, I was on the Astro Bunny from uh, the Riverina. This week, something a little bit more conventional from Justin Arnold um, at Ghost Rock, the top of Tasmania there. I'm just drinking his Supernatural range. Just It's actually... Um, it's got some Chardonnay in it. It's got a little bit of Riesling in it. It's got some Pinot in it. It is utterly delicious, and it is all the way from northern Tasmania. It's bright pink, um, and it's kind of, what would I say, like it's Pinot and Chardonnay, but it's got a lick of Sauvignon Blanc, so there's some fruit there. It's slightly herbal. I love it, you know, 30 bucks. It's on our site, vinifier.com.au. Thirty bucks. It's a winner. But um, hey, do you, do you know that reminds time. me? Do you, that just quickly yeah. though, that reminds me on, yes. on topic too. Um, I had to taste some uh, dealcoholized wine, some um, Ooh, yeah. some zero alcohol chardonnay and zero alcohol um, sparkling, and the sparkling was fine. Yeah. The chardonnay really did taste like something had been pulled out of it, and I realised that if you're going to take, you know. 
10 to 15% out of something, you're probably going to notice the hole. Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, so, um, but the sparkling still bubbled on the palate and had fruit aromatics, so it wasn't as noticeable. So if you're going to drink um, de-alcoholized wine, choose the sparkling. There's my tip. There you go. Fantastic. Well, he's been Luke Morris. I've been Luke Campbell. You can find us on the socials. Uh, we're back next week. You back next week, Luke? I might as well be. Right. What else is happening? <laughs> I don't think I can get a job with Leasingham. Uh, no, I don't think any, either of us can get a job. Uh, I won't be getting a job with Goundry, so it looks like we'll both be back here next week. We Ladies should relaunch the been brand, man. Anyway, I'll shut up. <laughs> He's been Luke Morris, I've been Luke Campbell, and in the words of Tony Barber, keep smiling and bye for now. Vinified are the wine cellars specialists. We're Australia's only personal sommelier service. Our sommeliers work with you to build your cellar. Our aim is to bring you the wines from the freshest new producers, all based on your tastes. We can come to you, source your wines, present tastings. Think of Vinified as your wine concierge. We can do retail, we can do tastings, we can host your dinner parties, or we can procure you that rare wine. Vinified is proud to be associated with Luke's Talk Wine. www.vinified.com.au